Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host Dennis Simpson as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. Jeff Atkins is our special guest today. Jeff is the owner of Hot Springs Village Memberships and a fountain of information about Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. We welcome Jeff to the show. You are tuning into another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out with your host, Dennis Simpson, Mr. Randy Contrell, and the star of the show, Hot Springs Village. And it is a delight to come back to you this week. Got somebody this week that I think you will find very interesting. You know, we have very flashy people and we have not so flashy people, but we have other people that are just interesting. And I think Mr. Jeff Adkins falls into that category. Jeff, it's great to have you today. Well, thank you. It's good to be here with you and Randy. And and let me go back. Uh, I'm going to set up part of the story. Uh, Jeff and I have, we're, we're business partners, but we've also been, we started as competitors roughly 20 years ago. And that was, he would be on one side of the, uh, of the room and I would be on the other side and we would be bidding against lots. And we very quickly came up with a little pattern where if he wanted something really bad, I would quit. And if I wanted something, he would quit. And we never really spoke that much until I moved to the village about 10 years ago. And then we just kind of started working together on different projects. So Jeff, tell us about yourself, what you do, how you got here, what you like and what you, what you want to do in the village. Well, let's see. I've been here about 20 years. Um, I've uh, lived where I do now for about 12 years. Um, Had two houses that I lived in previously before here. And it just so happens, Dennis, when you moved in, you just happened to show up down the street. And 26,000 acres and you show up down the street. uh, That was pretty amazing. Um, I'm on the poor end of the street. You're on the lake end. Um, But uh, I just have... Uh, views of the mountains or the hills you have the lake view so you got the better end of that deal i'm pretty confident you could have afforded the lake view but you were just being thrifty like you and i I was being thrifty yes i was (laughs) yes i was um so i got here 20 years ago because i was living in little rock working out of town a lot and just decided that if i was going to drive to the airport i might as well drive to the airport from here um i was coming out here all the time for golf and it just didn't make any sense to me to live in Little Rock anymore. What and of course, this was right after 9-11. So um, just as we had the uh, the different events of the last year, that was a big event. Um, some people were moving out of the cities then. Some people just had said they'd had enough of it. And I was one of those people. So you were, and, and I'll fill in the blank real quick. You were a programmer, a bank pro, or a software programmer. Yes, software and so you would end up driving or, or flying all over the United States to go work at job sites? Uh, not all over, but but certain locations. Yeah, I've worked in Mississippi, Texas, Florida, um, North Carolina, different places. Um, worked in Hong Kong for a while. Um, and Little Rock was my base. Sometimes I would drive to the work locations for the week if they were close enough. Other times I would fly for a month or two, be out, be gone for a month or two. And um and just didn't want to do that anymore. I, well, I also, I got a gig where I got to work primarily from home. Mm. And at that point, it really became more in, important where home was. Where did yeah. you grow up? I grew up, I was born in Texas, raised in South Louisiana. 
lived in Arkansas most of the time since 1989. So I've been here quite a while. But, I don't know uh, if I ever really asked you, Jeff, how did you find the village? Well, that was uh, just luck for the most part. I had driven by um, US 70 where they had one sign that said Hot Springs Village. And I thought it was uh, a retirement home and one golf course with a bunch of old people. And uh, I had a golf buddy come out here uh, one day in 1999. Uh, so we weren't playing golf that weekend. He was coming out here to look around. And I asked if I could go with him. And by the end of that day, I was half owner of a lot. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, that year I, I had half owner of a lot. A year later, I bought my own lot, which I still own, by the way. Um, and a year later, I bought a house. And six months later, I'd moved here. Now, Randy, the funny part of the story that I may not have shared with you about Jeff, and I asked this question, Jeff, we own properties together, but how many properties do you own now, Jeff? I'd, I'd have to do the math, but it's somewhere around 150. 150, somewhere around, give or take. Somewhere, uh, somewhere around. around 160, maybe, um, with the recent acquisitions. <laughs> um, I only have one under contract right now. Uh, but I, I kind of like looking around here. I used to look around after golf and I would see things that I liked. And over time, I just acquired them more and more. Um, and then, of course, I, when I ran into you at the auctions where there were property auctions, um, foreclosure auctions, um, that's where I first got to know you. So um, they've just accumulated over the years. I'm a big, bit of a pack rat. Um, and, you know. One thing leads to another, and pretty soon you have 160. How did Those that? People, how did that even get started? For you? Well, it occurred to me that the property was tremendously undervalued when I first came out here, and I just thought that it would be interesting to buy up the ones that I liked that were really cheap, that were people were basically giving away, and you know maybe I could sell them to my friends at some point, uh, and then in just one thing grew to another. Um, I was able to lease out the amenities that are tied to each lot. So that covered part of the cost for most of the cost. And so it became a, a zero carry cost on m many of these lots. And uh, I still do that. I just got off a phone call with a potential new customer that uh, may want to become a member here. Arbitrage. I love step. it. Yeah. It's a first step program for somebody that maybe is not sure that they want to live here or commit to buying a piece of property here it's try it before you buy it, it it's you know rent before you own yep um and i've had many of my customers become homeowners here that's awesome Randy, we need to we need to share that link in just a minute but that jeff what is it hsv memberships hsv memberships.com hsv memberships.com among and, others and, and let me let me cover some details real, real quick that we don't talk about. But number one, uh, we've I, Randy, I've said this in other episodes that, you know, a vast majority of the village is uh, undeveloped and, and vacant property. And as a vacant property, the POA dues or a POA assessments, as Jeff would correct me, are roughly thirty nine dollars a month. If you have a water meter on that property, it's sixty nine dollars. I didn't say a home. I just said a water meter. So if you're you know you have a pool at another lot beside you or something, then that's sixty nine a month. But there are literally thousands of them 
And uh, Jeff, uh, you were actually instrumental, if I'm not mistaken, in helping the board set up a lease program where if you have a corporation, if the properties are, are owned under a corporation, then you can lease out those privileges, right? Well, no, that existed. That's in the declaration. Oh, Cooper put that in the declaration in 1970. Uh, and it's unchanged since then. What I helped the, the POA do is in 2008, when the real estate market declined, and they started to get a lot of lots back into their inventory. Um, because keep in mind that Cooper is selling to retirees or near retirees. And as those people had health issues or died, then their lots would left to their kids or or left to the POA. So the POA was beginning to build up its inventory. And of course, you know, they wanted to sell at any price, which wasn't good for the market. And I convinced them it would be better if they would just lease the property. Don't let go of the deed. Uh, don't let go of the title. And so the POA did this, um, I think, starting in 2009. Um, and they still do it today. Um, well, well, you did get elected. You were elected to the board. And, and once again, I want to make sure I'm not mistaking yeah. this, but you know, in, in what I would consider you and me 20 here years of recent history, I don't know anybody who's really been reelected to the board and you've been reelected. Well, I, I've been elected three times. Um, the second time there was no competition. There were two spots open. There were two of us running. So there was really no election. Um, but there have been other people more recent that have been uh, re-elected. Um, not very many. Uh, incumbents are, are, well, first of all, they're, they're burnt out after three years, a lot of them. Uh, and I can certainly understand that having been on the board seven years. Uh, the first time I was elected, I only got a one-year term because I finished third for three spots and that one spot was only a year. So seven years total. It, it's quite a bit of work to be a director of the POA board, even though you have professional management. You know, there's a $30 million budget. Back then, it was probably $25 million. Um, there's, there's a lot of things going on here. It's very time-consuming at times, depending on what's going on. Other than there's always issues. Other than, protecting your, other than protecting your investments, which is obvious, what, what were the motives for running for the board? I just didn't think they made good decisions at the time that I first ran. Uh, there would be things come up that they wouldn't really see another option. They, they saw black and white and they didn't see anything else. Um, and also back in that point, at that point, we were in a real estate boom in 2007 or, or and it was starting to tell off. Um, but Cooper had started to slow down or, or eliminate Cooper being the original developer had started to slow down or, or back out of the village. And I just saw that there was a big sea change going on. And I think I thought, even though at that time, I had only been in the village for five or six years full time. Um, I could see where they were going to need some help with real estate or just how to deal with these things. Realtors typically don't want to get involved in politics, but I wasn't a realtor. Um, and that has really um, proven out to be true over the years because Cooper is even less involved today than they were in 2007, uh, considerably less involved, and they're selling off their property. And, you know, I was talking about this when I was running in 2007 is they're not going to be, they did such a wonderful job developing the community, but they weren't going to be involved on a day-to-day -day basis like they had to that point. And it, you could have seen that um, lesson over the last few years prior to 2007. Um, and so of course, then as soon as I got on the board, the real estate um, uh, issue occurred and 
and there was all kinds of uh, foreclosures and just all kinds of issues uh, that came out. We had a, a major investor in the village um, that um, basically turned all over all their lots to their lender. Um, and so it was, it was a big change going on back then as far as real estate was concerned. But basically what got me to run was I, I just didn't see that they were making the right decisions on several issues. And I wanted to become involved. I had been on an HOA when I was in Little Rock. I had a condo in Little Rock. I was exposed to an HOA, but it was 22 units instead of 34,000. So a little bit of difference there. Yeah. Um, but I had been involved. I knew how it worked, basically. Um, and I just wanted to be more involved. Dovetail that with your golf. You sound like an avid golfer. Dovetail that into the golf the golf community, the golf courses. And while, listen, we want to be above the politics, but there, there are some numbers and there are some economies. I would be curious. You're, I'm not a golfer, but I, I really enjoy staying on golf courses. I mean, go figure, you know, I mean, it really, for a non golfer, the golf courses add such value for a non golfer, you know, like me. I'm I'm curious as a golf person, your perspective on that as it pertains to those being valuable amenities in the village. And then I'd like to have your perspective as a golfer of, for those people that do golf that are listening and watching your perspective of the various courses in there. Well, it's a huge plus for the village, even though we don't have the play that we had in 2005. Uh, I think 2005 was our busiest year where we had something like 360,000 rounds among the various golf courses. And I don't even think Renata was open then, which Mm -hmm. has been added since. Um, They are fantastic golf courses, particularly if you consider the cost. I mean, they're they're some of the best courses you'll ever play. They're semi-public. You know, you can play here as a guest. You don't have to know anybody that lives here to play here. So come on in and play. But for the local person, for the person that lives here or nearby, there are tremendous value uh, just to be able to go out and play on that level of course at that price. Um, And that's why um, so many golfers end up here. And if you're really avid, like if I was retired and I wanted to play unlimited golf for the year, it gets even better. You know, if you're just playing by paying by the round, it's great. But if you're paying by the year, it's fantastic. Well, give us yeah. some idea for those in our yeah. audience that don't have a clue. And I, and I get that this is going to be time sensitive. Prices are subject to change. But right. as we're recording this today, which happens to be in June of 2021, give our audience, people that don't have any familiarity with what you're talking about. Sure. If, if you want to play at our nicest course, they're all nice, but at our nicest course or, or your favorite course today in the afternoon, it'll cost you less than $30, including cart. Now, back in 1999, when I first started coming out here 20, 20 plus years ago, that's what we used to pay at what we would call a goat ranch. You know, it just was awful, but it was a place where you could go hit a ball and there was a hole and it wasn't much more than that. So today, all these years later, I'm paying the same thing I was in Little Rock 20 years ago. And there's no comparison in the courses. You know, the, whereas in Little Rock, if you hit the ground, you hurt your hands because it was, the ground was so hard and there was no grass. Um, so here, um, 
the the courses are tremendous. They're um, spread out among the village. Most of them are on the east end because that tends to be flatter in, in the newer area. But the oldest golf course is fun to play. And the second golf course has got all the hills you can handle. Um, but then you can go play Isabella, which is relatively flat. Uh, so there's such a variety of them. And, you know, some courses have water and Ponce de Leon golf course has hardly any. Um, different fairways, different grass in the fairways, different grass on the greens. Um, you can find something you like and you can play a different one every day of the week. Um, so, but for a guest, it can be 60 or 70 or $80, um, depending on the course and time of day and time of year. It's variable. So in August, it's not as expensive as October because October is a lot nicer here. And, and August tends to be a little hot and sticky. And Jeff, I want to go into something in just a second. Uh, touch on the lottery and touch on the unlimited golf, what those cost and how that works. Well, I haven't looked at the numbers lately. Uh, we, we could pull them up and look at them. But uh, roughly, if you want to play unlimited for the year, I believe it's around $3,000. But so, that could be three times a day. And you could, well, yeah, you could if you have the strength you got the <laughs> to play three times play. a day. Uh, I played three times in one day, one time. I won't do it again. You were a young um, man. Yeah, uh, that was a long day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you want to sneak in an extra nine after the first 18, we used to do that all the time. Um, so that's the unlimited. Um, and for the lottery, uh, if you if you're here, well, it doesn't matter if you're here, but uh, if you decide that you want to play Isabella Golf Course next Wednesday at 9 a.m. when it's nice and cool, then you put your name in and you're probably going to get 9 a.m. or 908 or 916, something pretty close. But if it's more important for you to play at nine and you don't care if it's Isabella or Granada or Magellan or Ponce, then you'll probably get one of those courses at the time you request it. So you can prioritize the course or you can prioritize the time as, as far as your lottery. Uh, and that that's it's never an issue getting a tee time. It's just how close to exactly when do you want to play are you going to get. Um, but you always get a tee time. And the thing that's different out here also is we're less busy on the weekend in general than we are during the week because the locals do other things on the weekend. And on the weekend, we have some of the out-of-town people, some of the out-of-town property owners and guests come in, maybe from Little Rock or, or various uh, nearby areas or Dallas or, or wherever. So we're actually busier during the week and more open on the weekend. What's the range of this, of the, of the skill required to, to be, to be, to be pretty decent on the various courses? I mean, I'm assuming well, that with that many courses, there's bound to be a course for everybody and whatever your level of expertise is. Well, there are different tee boxes. And so that gives you different distances. And, and most of the courses have four or five tee boxes. So if you're a lower if you're a starter, if you're a beginner golfer, you're going to want to move up to those forward tee boxes so that you don't have to go as far to get to the green. Uh, but, you know, anything, anybody that can hit a ball can play. Um, but uh, certainly um, you can get as much golf as you want. In other words, if you're on the back tees, you're going to have a challenge, no matter how good a golfer you are. And if I'm a beginning golfer and I come out, am I going to be embarrassed? I mean, are the guys behind me going to be – harping at me to move it along or I want to well, comment on this one. You can be bad and fast. Yeah. Do what? You can be bad and still be fast. Yeah. <laughs> or or yeah, on well, time. Well, you might as well be faster if you're bad. 
<laughs> right. Well, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, Jeff, one of my favorite things was my dad and I would come out and he was at the time he would be in his early eighties, late seventies. And I mean, he's only going to go so fast, but he would meet another group of guys who were in their seventies. And, and we would come out on a Sunday afternoon, go to Magellan, one of the gyms of the entire village, pristinely beautiful. And, you know, we would start at two 30 in the afternoon and we wouldn't see anybody for five holes either side in front or behind us. And because because when you're not a great golfer and and my dad wasn't a great golfer, isn't a great golfer either. I don't want to be in a rush. And if anybody did show up behind me, come on, play on through. Cool. And and people would laugh and joke there. And I think Randy, I think you're really hitting at the heart of something that we needed to address. And Randy, uh, we've never even talked about this. The bottom line is, is that if you're feeling, do you think you're going to come to the course and you're going to learn to play golf once you move to the village and you might be intimidated? You can put that out of your head. Yeah, well, that's where that's where I was headed. It's the these are some of the nicest people on the planet to play with, and it's just yeah, okay, you hit a bad ball, okay, yeah, whatever, let's go have a beer. Yeah, I wouldn't tee off from the back tees at Granada at nine o'clock in the morning, but if you want to go out there at one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon, you may not have anybody behind you, so it doesn't really matter. Do you have a favorite course? Uh, yes, Ponce, Ponce de Leon. Why? And and the reason is, uh, well, first, it's it's pretty difficult. Um, I like the challenge. Uh, and it is considered by the locals long and hilly, even though it's really not. But it's a little bit longer than, say, Magellan. Um, and it's hillier than Isabella. Uh, and so when I first started coming out here, it was late afternoon in the summer. I'd get here at 5 o'clock. I'd play 18 holes by dark. And usually I wouldn't catch anybody, you know, even though I was playing fast, I wouldn't catch anybody until the 16th or 17th hole. Um, But that one was more open. It was more open as far as in the afternoon. Um, The parking was right there by the pro shop. It was on the east end coming from Little Rock. It was easy to get to. And I just fell in love with the place. And actually, my second house was on pots. How often do you play? Not very often anymore. (laughs) <laughs> too much work going on we're doing that work thing and it's we're really doing that work thing yeah yeah when when i lived in little rock i played 100 rounds a year um and i had the unlimited and, and there was a group of us that did the unlimited um but now i only play a few times a year i'm hoping to change that in the next four or five years yeah Be- because and, and, i would and, much rather be on the golf course on a normal day than sitting in front of my computer working and, and you asked the question, Randy, I get that question 10 times a week. What's the best course? And, and that's like saying, what's the best restaurant? Well, do you like Mexican? You like, what, what do you like? And for example, Jeff didn't share this, but Ponce, Ponce and Balboa are distance monsters. If you like whacking the ball 300 yards or 250 yards, you need to go to Ponce and Balboa and Granada. That's the place to go. Eh, I, I, I can whack the ball 250 yards. It's getting in, in that little cup that drives me nuts. But the, for example, Coronado, a vastly underrated course. It's beautiful. It's pristine. It's right beside Balboa. They literally bump up against each other. There's just one road between them, but it's a par three. So Randy, if you wanted to come out and start trying to play golf or learning about golf, there's nothing that's going to be a par five, 450 foot or 450 yard monster. They're all shorter courses. And Jeff, they call them an executive course. Is that right? Executive course. It's a par 62. It's not just par threes. There are par fours. The par fours are not that long. Uh, some of the par threes, particularly on the back, can be a little challenging from from the normal tees. But you could always play the up tees until you um, got 
accommodated to the length. But it is a beautiful course, and it gets less play than some of the others because it's a par 62. It's not a full regulation course, uh, and it's in wonderful condition whenever I go. Um, so great time, it, and, and it's not a pushover. And we, we need to talk about Isabella, too. And, Jeff, bring that up. Tell us the story there. Well, the thing about Isabella that makes it so different is 27-hole layout. So it originally started as an 18-hole layout. Then they added nine. And they named the rotations Nina, Penta, and Santa Maria. So depending on where you start, that determines which two nines you play. It's like playing three different courses. Depending on where you start and where you finish, it's, it's like three courses rolled up into one. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really good course. It's certainly, uh, one of the flatter courses and the most forgiving fairways. So if you can hit it far, but you don't know where it's going, you probably want to start at Isabella. So in 2005, a lot of rounds played. Yeah. What happened? Well, that was a very dry year here. So that had a lot to do with it. Uh, there was very little, I think under 30 inches of rain that year. And, of course, we've gotten way more than that this year already. Um, so that was part of it. But, you know, golf went through a little bit of a decline over the years and um, and various other factors. Um, but I, I think it was just golf in general slowed down a little bit, and then it was wetter weather. Yeah, I got it. And I'm also curious. I got to ask. This is way off topic. But so you guys you guys meet. You're at this auction. So you, you figured out. You just gentlemanly. He's bidding on it. I'll let him have it. Did you drive the price up ever on each other? I don't think we intentionally drove the price up. Or would you admit it? Each other. And I don't think I ever drove the price up, but Dennis may have. <laughs> no, not, not really. And, and, but one of the, you know, what happens is, is that, you know, you're at, and I'm, I'm in these numbers, believe it or not, you know, you're at 600, you're at 800, you're whatever, yeah. you know, a, after three or four sparring rounds of that, and I'm not intentionally running him up. If he dropped it, I'd pick it up, you know, but if I dropped it, he'd yeah. pick it up. Okay. So we were sincere about it, but we, I learned very quickly. There were some lots that he was just hell bent. He was getting, well, it didn't, didn't do me any good to run him up another hundred bucks. And yeah. same thing with me. And then what prompted you guys throwing in together? Well, Dennis had another business partner that pretty much retired. And so I guess I was the replacement. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you came to me right after the, the end of the world in real estate. And you're oh. like, you know, there's some real good bargains over here. Would you be ready? I'm like, well, let's, you know, and, and I, you know what, you're actually touching on something I wanted to bring up. I made a note here that I wanted to bring up uh, a former CEO. I'll leave it at that. A former CEO would ask Jeff and I repeatedly, and we have been asked this question more than you can fathom, Randy, you know, what's in it for you and Jeff, Dennis, what's in this for you? What's it? Well, we would, we want to see the very village flourish, but one of the things that people don't understand, I have no children. I biologically do not have any children. Jeff does not have any children. We are two single guys who have lived completely separate lives who literally bumped into each other as competitors. And when we looked at this piece of heaven and went, you know, we can make this better. I, 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 let's talk about some ideas, how we can improve this. And frankly, I don't know if it's the software or the IT or the whatever side of us, but we're perfectors. We, we see something somebody else has made and we go, well, you know, we can make that a little better. And, and to boot, and I think Jeff will go with me on this one too. And when we see stupid stuff, we bang our head even harder. Like, oh, come on, people. Are you serious? Do you really mean to say that? You know? Jeff, yeah. you've got something to say. I can see it on your face. So say it. No, it's just. 
you know, when, when you deal with boards and different personalities and different um, executives, general managers, or, or other people, uh, management, um, it just, it's interesting the different perspectives that you get on different things. And um, I, I think just having a computer background and a software development background, sometimes I see things different. And I think a lot of times Dennis and I see them the same way. Yeah. Not always, but a lot of times we see them the same way. We're, and we're we analyze things in a different way. Yeah, we're extraordinarily analytical. And, and, you know, if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. But that's because we're detached from a lot of emotion about it many times, too. You know, if, if it's just plain stupid, it's just plain stupid. It, it doesn't mean it, you know, as good of friends as we are. If Jeff has a stupid idea, I go, that's a stupid idea. If I have a bad idea, Jeff goes, what are you thinking? You know, and that happens twice a week, by the way, in case you're curious. But but that said, no kidding. We really do. We, we do have the betterment of the village at heart. And to be frank, Randy, you do, too. And so does everybody we've interviewed so far, and probably everybody we're ever going to interview on this show. We want the betterment of the village, the promotion of the village. Is that going to put a dollar in my pocket today? You know, I don't know about you, Randy, but this podcast hadn't put a dollar in my pocket so far. And matter of fact, it's cost me a couple so far. Yeah. yeah. But we really want to promote the village. And, you know, well, Dennis, why do you want other people to come in? Uh, Jeff, I want to catch up just a minute ago. We, we had another guest, Clara, just a little while ago. We were interviewing and she was talking about a developer who was kind of getting his teeth kicked in for investing in the village. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Jeff and I have repeatedly gone through this and said, number one, this is insane to kick investors in the teeth, no matter what they are. And number two, if you want to talk about rentals, which is what this came down to, everyone who has ever come and lived at the village stayed at a rental before they came here. You didn't come here and buy without staying at least a night and seeing what it's like. So we've kind of got to get that mindset back on track that, you know, I've got a great life. Jeff has a great life. Randy, you have a great life. And we can bring more people in and we can still keep a great life. Well, it's, and, it's, some, and some of us, my hand's in the air, some of us have spent thousands of dollars in short-term rental. Just exploring. We, we, haven't, we haven't, but nearly every person that I have stayed with, I'm sure there are some exceptions, but by and large, you know, have said how much it matters to their, and admittedly, many of them are retired, how much it mattered. I had one, you know, one really sweet little couple that has, they've lived there over 25 years. Uh, they had a business, they sold out that long ago, came, have a perfectly nice little, you know, sweet, smaller home on the West side, an older, an older house, but you know, renting out this, this basement suite that they created was making all the difference in the world in their, in their lifestyle. Well, that doesn't make me feel bad. I felt pretty good about spending my money, you know, with this, this older couple and, and helping them out. And I realized that there's a, a lot of rocks that get thrown and Dennis and I've just made a pack before we started this whole thing, Jeffrey, that we were just going to kind of ignore all that and not worry about it. But those of us coming from Dallas, Fort Worth, and I have realized it's like a Mecca for Dallas, Fort Worth. I had no idea when I started coming, <laughs> right? I've run into so many people who, who are from Dallas, Fort Worth and other parts of Texas. Uh, and I get it, but I don't, I didn't know the place existed until, until 2018. So 20 years, what, what are some of the notable things that you've seen Jeff over the course of that time inside the village? Well, there've been so many changes, um, you know, back in, back in that day, 
the radio station only played golden oldies. And today you can hear Billy Joel <laughs> on the radio station. So, the, you know, that's advanced considerably. Um, I think the courses are in as good a shape today as they were then, maybe a little better overall. It's not, you know, it varies with the weather a little bit. Um, the POA, I think, um, is fairly financial s- stable now. Um, you know, there was a little bit of concern back in the late uh, 2008, 2009, 2010 with the real estate market, but we got through that. Um, it, it was a difficult time, but we got through it and uh, things are on a, a good level basis here. Um, I, but, you know, you started, and I always want to point this out because Cooper did such a fantastic job of the development that it's such a great canvas to put everything else on top of. You know, the work that they went through in the, in the foresight and the vision that they had to lay this place out and set it up the way it's set up and get it going, um, I think that's, make you know, there's a lasting overhang from that uh, that's going to go on for a really long time. What uh, the challenge is today is just to make sure that we have a lot of people um, that are very elderly. Uh, I had a neighbor until recently, she was, a hun- she was 103. Um, before she went to assisted living and living um, by herself, living by herself. And she was living them. by herself. Awesome. Um, you know, and, and she was very independent. I only had to help her a few times, even though I told her I'll come over anytime you need me to help, but uh, very independent. It's a great place. You know, I, I moved here and then my parents moved here later, uh, which is kind of reverse from most situations. Usually the parents arrive first and then the kids and then the grandkids um, most people find it through a family member or a friend. You know, it's not because of, of marketing necessarily. What we found out when the pandemic hit and the, the other social issues hit is that everybody knew where Hot Springs Village was. And they knew they wanted to be here, you know, but they just needed that that push uh, because the number of people coming in in the last year has been incredible compared to past years. But with the older older average age, we need younger people to keep coming in. And so that's the only challenge really, I think, is to keep people interested, Uh, keep the amenities up to date with what people are interested in today. And I think the best example of that in the last 10 years is the dog park. Uh, Be one example. We didn't have a dog park 50 years ago or or 30 years ago. Uh, And then the the tennis, help me out, Dennis, with with the name. Pickleball. Pickleball. Pickleball, yes. Pickleball, who knew? I didn't know what pickleball was, but now we have all these pickleball courts and pickleball tournaments and people come in to play pickleball. Um, And just keeping up with the times um, is the biggest challenge. And I think the POA overall is doing a pretty good job of it. I've got to ask a question, Jeff, and I've never really asked you this before. Uh, Tell me to the average layperson who hasn't been on the POA board, what would you say the average layperson doesn't understand about the board? Well, you know, back when I was on the board, it was more casual, I guess. Whereas in later years, it's <clears throat> been more corporate. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, where the, the biggest challenge is balancing the openness because you want to have an open government and you want the property owners to be well aware of everything that's going on versus what you need to keep between the seven board members uh, and the management team. Typically those are real estate transactions or things of that sort. But 
that rule has been slightly bent over time at, at various times and different groups follow it better than others. Um, and so you get into situations where you might have a couple of years where it's not tra as transparent as I would like. Um, so that's always a challenge. Um, I, I think the current board in the last year or two has been pretty good. Um, before that, it was a little tougher. Uh, but the amount of time that the board members spend, I, I think, the, the dedicated ones, the ones that, that are, are paying attention, um, that aren't just there for the title, um, the, they spend a lot of time. You, there's a lot of reports to read. There's a lot of numbers to look at. Um, and uh, managing the manager, you know, uh, and, and trying to do that without interfering. I think also, I think that a lot of people don't understand, and I want to just cover the absolute basics, and that is the POA is the governing body of all of the, of all of the village, but they are not a government. They are not a municipality, as everybody else would think of one. It is a corporation, and the corporation hires the police and the police chief, and the corporation hires the, the fire and the ambulance and everything. So it's, it's got a real different flair. And, and I, if you could, I, once again, I haven't asked you about this, but I think this would be a very interesting point. In 2006, when Cooper stepped away from continuing development, they kept some other properties and obviously added lots of properties and, and they had kept the concrete plant, blah, 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 blah. But when they stepped away in 2006 and you were on the board in eight, was that right? Seven. Seven. And you said there was a point, you had told me one time before, there was a point, y'all didn't know if Cooper was going to make it. Well, we were worried. I, we didn't have any knowledge directly or indirectly. Sure. We were worried because they were a developer and developers were going bankrupt all over. So, yeah, I, it would be a legitimate concern of, of anybody for the developer to be uh, financially solid. Well, um, and, and they made it through and, um, and they're, you know, they're still around today. Um, but it, it was a concern of mine, particularly, and something that I raised to other board members. Hey, we, we need to be ready in case something happened, just because it was such a tough market. You know, I think at the time they were planning on putting in a development in Texas, and I don't think they ever did. There was a development outside of Little Rock that never really went anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, they, they started to sell a few of their properties at that time, um, or lease them out. Uh, so it was a concern of mine, particularly, and I think other board members as well, and, and perhaps the whole community is, we wanted to see them be successful. But if they weren't successful, we needed to make sure that we had developers' rights as a property owners association. You know, you, you hear this term, Randy, POA. In most places, that's HOA. It's homeowners association. But here, you don't have to be a homeowner. You're just a property owner. And it might be a townhouse, which also means it's part of the townhouse association. Or it could be an undeveloped lot. And that, that street may be paved. There may be water in front of your lot. There may not. Uh, if you build and those utilities are not there, they'll be extended to wherever you are um, as, uh, as in, in a quick order. Not, not, you don't have to wait two years. It, it's going to be done quickly. Um, and I think that's the other thing that, oh, that's overlooked. And Dennis, you mentioned the ambulance. Ambulance is actually outsourced, so we don't actually hire the people that are part of the ambulance service. We do support them financially because we want to make sure that we have excellent coverage here in the village and that our response times are low. Um, and, uh, and so we do subsidize the, the ambulance and it's on everybody's utility bill, anybody that owns a home here, but it's relatively cheap. It's, it's not obtrusive or, or it's not expensive 
Um, and as a as a uh, homeowner here, or, or even a property owner that's visiting, um, you are covered by their plan. So mm. your your ride to the hospital, should you need one, is uh, is cheap or free? I don't know exactly. I've never had to do it, <laughs> but um, don't want to uh, find out. We we have our own fire. We have our own police. We have our own wastewater treatment. We have our own water treatment. We you know we have all this piping and, and plumbing that you don't see that's underground. It's a tremendous, uh, tremendous, tremendous investment what's been put here. And, um, you know, just underground electric. So your chances of your electricity going out are much reduced if electric was all above ground and all that could be hit by trees. Now, some of it's above ground and some of it you'll lose power, but it's just a tremendous place to be all around. Um, and uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah. What's the number one question you get, Jeffrey, from people outside the village? Well, usually they're calling me about golf and, and they're just they're just asking about the golf courses like you did. Uh, they want to know um, sometimes they'll, they'll have been here and they might have played one course, but not all of them. So they'll want to know about the golf courses, how much it costs as a property owner, how much it costs as a guest, uh, that sort of thing. I get that a lot, but that's just because of the, the business I'm in, I think, more than anything. Well, I wanted to ask a legacy, one more legacy question, Jeff. And, and Randy, you and I had talked about this in one of the other episodes. I covered it as a matter of history. But, Jeff, what I was getting at was is when, when the POA, when, when the POA and Cooper have been symbiotic for 46 years, I mean, they, they one leaned on the other. When there was a problem here, they handed it here. When there was a problem here, they handed it here. And, and they literally in essence, never lived without each other until Cooper kind of stepped back in 2006. And I think since that time, the POA has been trying to define its position. Are we marketers? Are we redevelopers? Are we are we the entire everything that Cooper used to be? Or are we just what we are? Right. And that's a great question because, you know, under the declaration, Cooper has basically the sole right to do the promotion and, and do the marketing. And they were gone. And so, you know, that was part of the downturn in 2008 that you asked about, Randy, is like, well, who's going to do the marketing? Because we're not supposed to, but Cooper's not here doing it anymore. Um, now, you know, their their commitments um, had been met at all times. And one of the things that part of that 2008 is that the POA agreed to take over the initial road paving. Um, whereas prior to that time, Cooper had been responsible for the initial paving of a road. Now, it's getting to the point now where, the, as a percentage, most of the roads are paved, but there are still many miles of unpaved roads here or roads that were paved uh, a long time ago. Um, but uh, that's that's definitely um, another thing that changed uh, during that time as Cooper was stepping away is that Cooper was responsible for the Architectural Control Committee. And so they appointed the members to the Architectural Control Committee exclusively. The POA had no say in it. Well, the POA negotiated with Cooper and took over that responsibility. So now the ACC members are appointed by the POA board. Um, and so these are these are technical things that as a guest, you would never notice and you would never care uh, because houses are still getting built and plans are still approved by the ACC. And they, they check to make sure that you're not making any big boo-boos like putting the uh, house on somebody else's land that, that would be a big boo-boo or um, that your boat dock, Dennis, uh, is in the right place or doesn't intrude upon your neighbors in any way. 
So there's a lot of functions that the POA has taken over from Cooper over the years. Um, and then there's still those that, that we don't have, like the develop the actual developer's rights, the, the ability to extend the village further. Um, that's still with Cooper. But for folks that are that make an investment to come there, and as I charmingly refer to it, kind of go pot committed, you know, and I'm thinking of some of the various people that I've met there who came from Chicago or Northern California. They came from one economy to that economy and can live like kings because of the difference in the yes. two. Well, they're certainly interested, which is part of what we hope to do with this podcast is just shine a light on the place. And nobody's saying that this is heaven. Nobody's saying that this is utopia. Uh, I have lived in the community that I'm in right now for over 30 years and I love it. And the politics are as messed up as you're going to find. Right. I mean, we, yeah. but, but I, but I love it anyway. That's good right? to hear. We're, we're glad to hear that. Aren't we Jeff? <laughs> yes. yes well, we are. you know, it's, it's, but, but to your point, these details that may not matter, I suspect that there's got to be some percentage of the Airbnb VRBO crowd that comes there and that probably has the epiphany I had. You know, man, wouldn't it be great if we if we had a place here? Wouldn't it be great if we lived here? And then you do get interested in that stuff, which leads me to my question, a long-winded way to ask the question. I lean toward optimism. It's something that I admittedly have to work at. And sometimes I get critics. Like, you know, well, why, why should I be that optimistic? And I'm like, well, I just don't know the downside. Well, the downside is you're going to be disappointed. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be disappointed anyway. Right. So why not be optimistic? Why are you optimistic about the future of hot Springs village? Well, I am not generally an optimist. I think Dennis would tell you. Amen. That. Amen. Oh my God. Oh my God. The number <laughs> of business meetings we've had, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. But I, I have uh, some very strong opinions on, on some things. Uh, sometimes they develop right away. Sometimes they develop later. Um, you know, and I do change my mind, uh, even, even though, uh, I, uh, I like to stick to the same path. Generally, I do change my mind, but I'm optimistic because of I've seen it for 20 years. And even though you see things that you don't agree with, at the end of the day, it's still one of the best places you'll ever live. And does it matter that they may have wasted a thousand dollars here or a thousand dollars there? Well, you know, your cost is spread among 34,000 people. So, yeah, any government is, is going to make mistakes, I, I think, any government. And even though we're not technically a government, we act like one. Um, we're going to make mistakes. We, as a POA, all of us, all, all the property owners, are going to make mistakes. And, but they're, they're minor in the scheme of things. And to me, being other places and seeing other places, um, it's just better than that. Um, it's better run than most places I've ever been. And I think, Jeff, I think one of the ways to say, if you, Randy, if you were going to describe it, I think we all would say it's got fantastic bones. And, and that's not to say, I'm not saying it's lacking anything. It's just when, when we, Jeff and I, who look under the hood a lot, it's still great bones. You know, the, yeah. the people who are on the POA, I respect, admire. I don't agree with them every day either. But man, they put in a lot of effort and they, they intend really well and they're working hard. And that keeps the bones and the place, uh, like we've said the engineering and the, and the marvel of what they did and the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere 50 years ago is phenomenal. Right. I think that goes back to my point about Cooper and 
just the fantastic job they did of laying out the place and putting it together in the form of government it has. The self-reliance, you know, being a, a native Texan, the self-reliance thing is kind of big with me. Um, it, it's got more of a libertarian bent than in a lot of places I've lived. Um, you know, it's not Austin and, and it's, it's not, it's not Dallas. And, um, you know, and I know those are two very different places. I was born in Austin, but it, of course it was very different in 1964. Yeah, the Austin now. you left is not the Austin of today. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But I still have relatives there. Um, and, you know, I, I've actually worked in, um, in North Dallas in, before COVID. I was working in Dallas part-time um, and just dealing with the day-to-day and, and getting the mailings from the local Addison government. Um, I was just like, boy, I wish I was back in Hot Springs Village. And <laughs> yeah. then COVID hit and I'm back in Hot Springs Village because <laughs> the office is closed. Um, but I tell you, it's, it's a wonderful thing not to hear that traffic at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, outside your window and the bus is running and the oh, plane's landing and taking off. And it's yeah, the, a city, the city noise can be deafening at 3 a.m. So it, it can. And, you know, I didn't need an alarm clock in Addison when I when I lived <laughs> right, there. I had right. alarm clocks, you know, here you better set an alarm clock because even with one of the main roads a couple hundred yards behind me, it's not going to wake me up. Yeah. Especially awesome. after that. Yeah, and, and I wanted to make one other footnote real quick. When we talked about 2007, 2008, the, the, the tough period there with Cooper and some other, I'll remind you that if I'm not mistaken, it was 2007 when a dollar wasn't worth a dollar anymore, mm-hmm. which we never <laughs> thought we would see that happen. If, am I mistaken, Jeff? Right. I think it was about that time where the money market accounts broke the dollar. Yeah, they broke the buck. I, I had brokers calling me that were literally hyperventilating like it did. What? No, it will never do. Okay, it did. Yeah. Well, well, we keep, we keep, we keep going into uncharted water. It seems like all the time. So it's okay. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Randy. They call that debt. I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) HSVmemberships.com. You've hawked that. So this is the part of the show, Jeffrey, where we're going to let you shamelessly plug whatever you want to (laughs) plug. So let's hear it. Shamelessly. Yeah. Shamelessly. Shamelessly. Well, I tell you what, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you have any interest, not Springs Village, and you haven't been here, you need to come visit. You know, until recently, I had an Airbnb, um, and I loved having my guests come in. There were a lot of Texans, but they were from all over. Um, but you're going to love it. That's that's what they used to say on the old commercials. You're going to love it, Hot Springs Village. Um, but if you if you decide that you don't want to buy a house right away, or you, you don't want to um, move right away, you can always buy a lot. I sell lots. Dennis sells lots. We, we sell lots together. Um, or you can lease membership privileges, which means you get to come here and poke around to your heart's content. You don't have to be a guest. You can get the, the property owner rate on everything. Tennis, bocce ball, lawn bowling, uh, swimming pool, cool. indoor and outdoor pools, fitness center, golf. Um, you, you can get a boat sticker just like any property owner. And it's a tremendous value because you're going to save about $40 around uh, this time of year at, uh, at the golf courses. And uh, I have hundreds of customers or I've had hundreds of customers over the years. And so many people convert to property owners. It took me about two years to buy a house here, just under two years, I think, to buy a house here. And I do not regret it. I've, I've owned, um, I think, six houses here and currently own four. And, um, and 
it's just, you know, it, it's a wonderful place to be pretty much any time of the year. Um, you'll, you'll feel safe here. You'll feel at peace here. Um, and you'll want to come back. Right, Randy? And, and Jeff, I want to shamelessly plug one more thing. Most of the, the lots you and I own together and the lots Diane and I own are all, um, uh, I say amenity, they're all uh, golf front or they're, they're blue chip. They're blue chip. And, and I think, and I don't think this is an, 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 an exaggeration in any step between Diane and I and you and me and Diane, nobody has more golf lots, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I don't think it's possible. Uh, I think it, it, it's, it's not even close. And, and yeah. I'll remind people we have doubles, we, we double lots where you, if the lot's not big enough, you can combine the two lots or you can build across the line. If really contact Jeff at HSV memberships or either one of us. But anyway, uh, we can hook you up with lots. <laughs> and hsvmemberships.com is the place that we want to direct everybody to, right, Jeff? That's correct. They'll right. find my phone number. It's a pitiful little website, but it has my contact information. Um, your website's much nicer, Randy. Uh, <laughs> and you just did it in probably two hours. But uh, it, it's uh, it'll have my contact information. Mm -hmm. You can get a hold of me there, and we'll take care of you. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get you out, out there on the golf course and, uh, and it'll change your life. It changed my life. Well, we appreciate you being on the show, Dennis. I'm going to give you the last word. Oh, it's just been a pleasure. Honestly, I got to tell you, thank you, Randy. Oh, he's going to get emotional again. <laughs> this is, this is what the place is. This is what, this is what the place does to you though. This is exactly yeah. what the place does to you. If you haven't been here. I mean, the man's been, he grew up around the place, but still gets choked up. And personally, I love it, but I admit it. I'm a guy who cries every day. At least I'm glad, I'm glad you like it. Cause it really hacks me off, but that said, no, I love it. I it's was great. just going to say, this is what I've wanted to do so long, Randy. And I'm thanking you and Jeff sincerely. This is the kind of discussion I've wanted to have. We have so many people that call and ask us questions all the time. And Jeff and I, simply want to promote the village, put it in a great light, explain to people what it is. And we just haven't had this kind of venue. And Randy, you, my friend, are the promoter and the director of all this. And Jeffrey, thank you for all of your help. Man, for Hot Springs Village Inside Out, I'm Dennis Simpson and Randy Contrell. And thank you, Jeffrey. We'll see y'all soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.